Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, once again, I love you very much, and uh, just grateful for all the times that we've spent together and the times ahead. It's, uh, as Greg Tucker mentioned, the beginning of a new season outside, and it's the beginning of a new sermon series inside, as we, uh, God really pressed this upon my heart, really this summer, that uh, prayer is something that not only, not only do I want to teach and preach, but I want to learn myself, and I think you learn by teaching. And so I, I'm entering into a new journey with you, not necessarily as one that has all this wisdom that I want to share, but as a co-laborer who wants to learn. This summer we went through on our Wednesday nights together a, a, a series that we called A Praying Life. And for the few people that were here and the intimate time that we had during those weeks, we shared uh, stories of prayer, things that we're wrestling with. And it just uh, really sparked my heart to want to start a sermon series going through the Lord's Prayer. And we'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer specifically in the book of Matthew. So as we go through this, the next few weeks, we're going to go verse by verse, word by word, seeking to know what God wants us to know about prayer. And again, as we do this, I want to affirm I am not sharing with you all my insights as a prayer warrior. I know we've got some warriors in this room. I am a co-laborer who is learning all these things um, right along with you. So I think the best way we could start out this entire sermon series is just to ask this simple question. Here's what I want to ask you. How do you picture God when you're praying to Him? How do you picture God when you're praying to Him? What I, what I mean by that is not an image, okay? Because the Bible clearly tells us whether written or visual, we're not supposed to have an image of God. What I mean is the demeanor of God. Okay, when I was a kid, I did have an image of God, by the way. I used to picture God as Mr. Clean. I don't know why. I just pictured bald head, big arms, white shirt, no pants. Just It stops right here and He just stands up there in heaven like this. Uh, most people, when they talk about an image of God, they talk about the, in picturing this, uh, this wise old man with a thick white beard. I'm not talking about image, okay? Because again, God is spirit, and the only image that we have of that spirit is Jesus Christ, and we've not seen him yet in the flesh yet. Uh, but what I am saying is the demeanor of God. Here's what I mean. When you pray, what do you picture God feeling or seeing or acting in response? What's his mood? Is he angry? Is he laughing? Is he smiling? Is he crying? How do you picture God? Is he uh, reacting to your words in a different way each time you pray? The way that you imagine God as you pray is always going to change how you pray. And so I want to I search the Scriptures. I want to open up this book. And I want us to see God the way that God wants us to see Him. Because as we'll walk through this together this morning, we can't avoid the fact that we all have a bias in the way that we see God. And a part of that is how we've been raised. A part of that's the churches maybe we grew up in, the pastors that we've sat under, the scriptures that we've read and how we've interpreted them. So I've got a lot to learn myself and I hope we can learn this together. I hope that we can learn this together. So what's our big idea? We're going to start with, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. The title of our sermon series here is Focusing on Our Father. And uh, what, what do I want us to see as we open up Matthew chapter 6 and focus squarely on verse 9? Here's what I think is what God wants us to see. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, He begins by calling us to focus on two important words. Our Father, God wants us to know that He is our Father, and that's how Jesus begins to instruct us 
when we have to know how to pray. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Gospel of Matthew will be in chapter 6. What I'm going to do the next few weeks is read through the entire passage of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 verses 9 through 13, but then I'm going to stop and preach on just one of those verses. So if you would stand at this time out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word, if you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 964 in your pew Bible. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I love you and we love you. Father, um, I mean, every word I said, I, I want to know who I'm praying to as much as anybody in this room. And I just pray that you'd help us as we walk through this passage as if Jesus was standing in the room right now instructing us on how to pray that we would know how to pray, but also who we're praying to. So would you anoint this time, Father? Would you be with us? Would you saturate this sanctuary with your precious Holy Spirit? Open up our hearts and minds to receive this truth and to respond to it in repentance and faith in your Son, our Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Here's what strikes me. When I, when I open up Matthew chapter 6 and I see these, this request for the disciples asking Jesus, teach me how to pray. The disciples followed Jesus Christ for three years of his earthly ministry. And as we walk through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see over and over and over all these amazing miracles that he used and did to demonstrate that he, in fact, was the Son of God. But when it came time for them to ask him a question, they didn't ask him what most of us may have asked him, okay? They didn't say, Jesus, show us how to turn fish and loaves into a feast for 5,000 people. How'd you do that? They didn't say, Jesus, show us how to better interpret the Scriptures. That's probably what I would have asked, because I'm always wanting to know more about how I can interpret this book. They didn't say, Jesus, show us how to handle the rebukes of the Pharisees. You seem to do that so well. They didn't say, Jesus, show us how we can overthrow this powerful Roman government that has been oppressing us for so many years. You know what they said? Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Do you know why I think they asked him that? Because of all the miracles that Jesus accomplished, I think when they saw him pray, it must have looked so powerful and so different than anything else they'd ever seen that they said, Jesus, I want to have what you have. Can you teach me how to do that? That's what I believe he was, he was asked this question, and Jesus is happy to answer it. And he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. In fact, uh, there's many passages in John that I would say are more appropriately should be called the Lord's Prayer. When he prays for his disciples, what I would have probably called this prayer, and I would have just admit this in my Catholic days, many of my Catholic friends called this the Our Father. And I think that's a good title for this. Not that the Lord's Prayer is wrong, but that Jesus starts us off with this idea of Our Father. Our Father. Now, here's the thing. 
Jews at this time would have possibly been interpreting or referring to God as the Father. Okay, there's, there's proof of that. But they weren't calling him our Father. And when Jesus starts off and says, this then is how you should pray, and he hits us with those two words, our Father, and it changes everything. So here's what I'd like to do with our, our few minutes here this morning. I'd like us to consider three questions that we can ask about our Father that Jesus answers for us here in this text. Okay, just three. I, uh, we came from a, a, a ministry training conference this weekend, and the guy stood up and his first words out of his mouth, he says, I have 11 points for you this morning, and I thought Ronnie Sykes' eyes were going to come out of his forehead. I don't have 11 points, I just have three. But I, they come directly from this text. Three questions that we need to ask that we'll let Jesus answer for us. Number one, who is our Father? Who is our Father? He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, that's great. Who is our Father? Who is this God that we're supposed to call? Not the Father, not a Father, but our Father. Here's what I believe. When we read the book of Genesis, especially the first two chapters, what we see is a God who's both creator and father. He creates the earth in six days, and he rests on the seventh, and he creates it out of such power that all he has to do is speak, and the earth is created. Already he's setting himself apart from everyone and everything else. He is creator. We are creation. But he doesn't stop there. We see a God who's also a father. He breathes the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. And out of the rib of Adam, he makes Eve. And he gives them gifts. He gives Adam the wife and the privilege and the responsibility of tending to his wife and tending to the garden. And he walks with them in the garden in the cool of the day. And all he asks for them is their trust and their obedience. He's creator, but he's also father. And when he offered and really commanded some fatherly advice not to eat from a certain tree, and Adam and Eve decided to reject the advice of the father, they lost the privilege of having this father-child relationship. Now, God did not abandon them. Even as a father, even in their sin, in their nakedness and in their shame, God could have said, I'll no longer be your father. I'll only be your creator from now on. But he didn't do that. He covered their nakedness. He made a promise to them that although they're now under a curse, that he would do something to deliver them from that curse. Eventually, the seed of a woman who is Jesus Christ would come and crush the head of the serpent who is Satan, and he'd redeem us from our sins, and he's keeping hold to his promise. But that sin still separated the father from the children, and that relationship was greatly fractured. And since then, we have struggled to see God as our Father. We've struggled to see God in any other way. Now, when Jesus says these words and he starts off and he says, Our Father, what he's saying is, I am here to bridge this gap. This God that you know as Creator desires for you to know him as Father, and he's so holy that you can't just approach him on your own, but through me you can. Through what I'm going to do on that cross, this Father is not going to just be the Father. He's going to be your Father. He's going to be our Father. So this then is how you should pray. You should pray, Our Father. 
That, those, I know we rushed through that whole passage and we don't stop for each and every word, but those first two words would have hit the Jews right between the eyes. Those disciples that were walking with him, it would have changed the game. They would have said, did I hear you right? Our father? I know he's your father because you're, you're claiming to be the son of man, the son of God. I know he's your father, but you want us to say our father? And Jesus says, yes. So who is he? How do we know that he's a father and not just a creator? Well, all the scriptures, and I'm going to give you many in the New Testament, share over and over and over again this desire that God has to be our father. What what does he do as our father? Well, he provides. Matthew chapter 7 verse 11 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask for him? He also cares. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, we're called to cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for you. He disciplines. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 says, He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. He listens. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. He comforts. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How many in this room need comfort right now? I do. Many of us do. We are to comfort one another, but that comfort comes from the source. It comes from our Father. And finally, the Father loves. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Let me say about that word love, we're going to talk more about this as we walk down through this message together. Love is not only what God does, love is who God is. We, we may have the characteristic of love, but He is love. It's not that He does it. He is love. He's the source, the founder of all of it. And so He calls us as earthly fathers to be loving, but He's the example because He's the source. He's where love comes from. It's who He is. Now, when thinking about God as our Father and thinking about Him being a good provider and caring and being a disciplinarian and listening and comforting and loving, what I want to do is avoid the two extremes. This is going to be the hardest thing that any of us think about when we think about prayer. And, and here's what I want to ask you today. I'm going to request this of you as I request this of myself. Be honest with which one of these extremes you lean towards and maybe ask God to help you to have a more balanced perspective. When I think about love, I cannot avoid the word holiness. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But here's what I believe. And most of this is cultural and generational. When you think of our Father, there are many of you in this room, particular, particularly the post-World War II generation. It is not hard for you to see God as holy. It is sometimes hard for you to see God as loving. Because you know the fear of the Lord. You were raised in it. You experienced it. You've been through tough times. Your generation has no problem praying to God as Heavenly Father. But then there are others in a younger generation, maybe my generation X or the millennials or even some of the baby boomers. 
You see God as loving because that's all you've been told, but you think God's your buddy. You think he's your co-pilot. You think he's your life coach, and you forget that he is God, and he is to be worshiped with fear and reverence that you would tremble in his presence. Now, I don't have this thing all figured out. God is enormous. He transcends human understanding, and yet he reveals enough about himself in this book that he wants to be known so that he can have relationship with you. All right, so I'm not, I'm not here with a blueprint. I don't have all the answers, but here's what I do know. In my life, I've struggled to find that balance. When I, before I became a Christian, and then when I first became a Christian, I heard so much about the love of God. When I prayed, all I thought about is God as Mr. Rogers. Always smiling, always happy. Don't know if he was changing his outfit four times an episode. But this is who I pictured God to be. My life coach, my friend. And in some ways... I don't want to get past the point that God does tell us in the scriptures in various places he is our friend through Jesus. But then I started reading the Old Testament and I started reading the holiness of God and the severe punishment of those who are called the children of God who disobeyed him. And I, I mean, I see, you know, Lot's wife turned to a pillar of salt. I see all these things happening. And the first time I read the Old Testament, I thought, oh my goodness, nobody ever told me about this version of God. And then I began to understand why I need a savior. Because he is so holy, and I'm not. And so then, later on in the first few years of my salvation, I began to drift over to the holiness of God, and I forgot that he was loving. And then there are times now where I kind of teeter-totter back and forth. And so, as we walk through this passage, and we ask that first question, who is our Father? My prayer for all of us in this room is this. Know which area you tend to lean, and let the Scriptures bring you back to true center. God is love, and God is holy. And that's not a contradiction. He's a loving father who wants you to climb up on his lap and wrap your arms around him and bury your face in his chest and cry out and share the deepest secrets of your heart. But he's also holy, so when you approach him, you do so with respect. This is our father. So that's number one, who is our father? Number two, where is our father? Okay, the second part of this verse says this, pray then like this, our Father, and the next two words are in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want to stop and look at those two words in heaven. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but I think this could be easily misunderstood. One of the key doctrines of the Christian life, one thing that we need to understand about God, I would think that many of you in this room know this, but it bears repeating. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. So we can say that God is in heaven, but that God is in this room and he's as real as the air you breathe. Now, when we read these words in heaven, it's less about where God is and it's more about who God is. When Jesus says, our father, you may automatically think a beloved father, I'm his beloved child. I'm going to love him the way I love an earthly father. But then he says, in heaven. He's saying, this is not just any earthly father. All right, this is not just that father of your friend down the street that used to cook you French toast on sleepovers. This is not some guy that you can just walk up to and casually share life with. This is our father in heaven, which means he's the father of heaven. In fact, this is where I thank some of our older church members in this church and in this community because when I hear their prayers, I think they get this. I remember listening to um, Billy Trapnell, you know, he's I call him the great invocator because anytime we've had a, 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 some type of event, he does the invocation. And he starts every prayer out the same way. 
He says, our most kind and gracious heavenly Father. And I think that perfectly illustrates it. I think Greg Tucker said the same exact prayer during the offering. Kind and gracious and loving, but heavenly. Heavenly does not necessarily mean he's up there and not down here because he's everywhere. But what it does mean is that he stands above his creation. And he's to be honored and worshipped accordingly. That's where our Father is. Now, just a word of, of a note before we move on. I do believe this. We talk all the time about those whom we love who've gone on to be with the Lord and we say in heaven. So there is some type of physical and spiritual dimension called heaven. And there's a fuller manifestation of God in that location. I don't know exactly what that looks like because guess what? I haven't been there yet. And I'm not going to go there today, hopefully, unless God has other ideas. But here's what I do believe. So there's, there's a throne. We've heard a lot about this throne. And then the, the children of God are going to be gathered around that throne and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God and the Lamb. So I think they're going to have a vision, an image. They're going to see something in God that we don't see down here. They're going to experience a presence that they don't experience down here. So there is something in heaven when we say, our Father in heaven, there is something special that's waiting for us when we take our final breath. But don't make that your relationship with God is on hold until you get there. Your relationship with God is right here and right now. He is in this room. And if you're a Christian, He is in your heart. He is in your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our middle school kids have been going through this passage uh, in Corinthians for, for weeks. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. So don't think that you put that relationship on hold because you haven't seen the vision that we're promised in Revelation. God's here. Right here. He's right here. It's where He is and it's who He is. That is where our Father is. I'll share this one passage before we move on to number three. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2 gives us a perfect portrait of it. He says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The writer of Ecclesiastes, who I believe to be Solomon, is not saying, God's up there and you're down here, so you better, you know... When you pray, know that he's up there. No, he's saying God is so powerful. God is transcendent. God's your creator. He's up there looking over what's happening down here. But he's also uniquely involved in what's happening here. So when you pray to God, know who you're dealing with. He's the God of heaven and he's the God of earth. So now we've asked who is our father and where is our father? Let's go a step deeper in the few minutes that we have left and say this. Number three, what is our father like? What is our father like? All right, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, and listen to these last four words, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This to me is how Jesus gives us the perfect bookends of love and holiness. When he said the words, our Father, we felt that love, that we're adopted as children into the family of God. He's a father, we're his children. And when I think of that, I think of love. But then he says, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now we see the other bookend of holiness that holds us upright as Christians. Hallowed be your name. I am grateful. I know when we read uh, this this morning from the ESV, there was just a few words a little different than the KJV, but I'm glad that they didn't change a whole lot because much like you, I memorized this in the KJV, and I'm glad they didn't change the word hallowed because that word has been printed on my heart for the last however many decades when I first learned it. But it's not a word that we typically use a lot today, so I think it bears us to stop and talk about it for a minute. Hallowed be your name. What does this mean? When you think of hallowed, think of holiness. 
When he says, hallowed be your name, I believe Jesus is saying God is to be known, he's to be acknowledged, and he's to be honored as holy. All right, that's what, that's what we're going to do when we get to the throne in heaven. We're going to gather around it and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God and the Lamb. And what does holiness mean? It, it simply means this. God is set apart and different from everyone and everything else. Hallowed be his name. Now, this is where it gets really hard. Because we want to know God. We want to know what He's like. And He reveals enough about Himself in the Scriptures that we can start to get an idea so that we know who we're praying to. And yet He's so big and mysterious that we just can't quite get it nailed down. He, you know, for us that have an earthly father, uh, all of us have had one, whether we've had a close relationship, we've all had an earthly father who brought us into this world. We can relate to God thinking that He's like an earthly father. Or for those of us that are fathers, we can think that God relates to us the way that we relate to our children. And there are some correlations, but then there's also some that aren't. All right? I do think that God has a special love for me the way I do have a special love for my daughter. And I do think that, that uh, I feel for God the way I feel for my earthly father in a lot of ways. But here's, here's where it's different. God does have emotions, but His emotions are not quite the same as ours. He's transcendent. He's not affected by the day-to-day activities in life the way that we are. It's not that he doesn't feel pain. It's not that he doesn't share emotion. But here's the thing about God. He doesn't get anxious. He doesn't get scared. He's not stressed out. He's not worried. He's not depressed. Many earthly fathers are. I've wrestled with many of those things. And so, when we think of God as Father, yes, we can think about a God who provides and a God who loves and a God who shares all these amazing things with us. But we have to understand when our boat's rocking, His boat isn't. When, our, when, our, when the waves around us are crashing, His waves are calm. That's the kind of father I want to take my troubles to because earthly fathers like me have so much trouble that when my daughter gets old enough to come to me, I want to do my best to minister to her. But I also know in addition to ministering to her, I got other things that I'm wrestling with. It's hard for me sometimes to, 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 to be for Ashley and others the way I want to be because I'm, I'm a mess myself. God the Father's not that way. He's perfect. He's calm. He, he's unchanging. He loves us. And it does not mean He cannot empathize with us, but He also stands above us. And I think that is so important. When you pray to God in the midst of your anxiety, know that you're praying to a God who's not anxious. He's not worried. He sees the beginning from the end. And He does empathize with you. But He wants you to trust in Him. He wants you to trust in Him. And when you do... When you pray to Him in such a way that as your life is falling apart and and everything's crashing down around you, but you lift up words of praise to Him, that gives Him glory. And He deserves that glory. And Jesus is saying, hallowed be your name. Before you ask for all the things you're going to ask for, and we'll go through that in the next few weeks, before you say, give us this day our daily bread, and before you ask, forgive us our sins, simply give Him praise. Not because... Because it, you know, it's just some debt we owe to Him. It's because He's worthy of it. He's worthy of, our, uh, of His glory and our praise. And by the way, I think this is so important. It took me several years before I finally began to even scratch the surface on understanding this. Non, non-believers, okay, non-Christians will say to you, isn't that arrogant of God? 
God created you and then said, now you come and worship me. All right? I mean, on the surface, it sounds arrogant. It sounds like, is God insecure? Does he need affirmation? God doesn't need anything from us. He really doesn't. He gives us the privilege of bringing him glory. And here's what I mean by that. Here's, here's the best way I can explain it in simple terms. I believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living together as one God in three persons, existing for all of eternity, I believe that they, they were speaking with one another as one God, saying, we are so amazing that we don't want to keep ourselves all to ourselves. And so God the Father said, I'm so great, and I want people to come and enjoy me that I'm going to create them. And when they see how great I am, they're going to praise me and that's going to give me glory, but it's going to give them joy. Do you know that when you die, if you're a Christian and you stand before the throne calling out holy, 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 you're not going to be bored. You're going to have more joy in calling out who he really is as much as he receives the glory for what you're calling him because you're wired to call out good things. All right? I mean, yesterday, college football Saturday, I drove in a van with three men who loved the Bulldogs. And with every touchdown or every interception, I heard them call out what's good. If you're a Bulldog fan. I'm Georgia Southern, so I sit in that neutral ground. But, um, <laughs> but, but we're wired that way to see good things and call them out. We find joy in seeing these things that are bigger than us, things that we can't control, and in calling them out when they're good. Well, God is that way. He wants you to see Him as holy and call it out, and He'll receive the glory, but you'll receive the joy in knowing what a great God He is. And that great God, by the way, is our Father. It's who God is. It's what He's called us to do. Psalm 115 verse 1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So we've talked about who is our Father, where is our Father, and what is our Father like. And so in the last two minutes here, just going to wrap all this up and sum it up in one sentence that I want us to really think about, and that sentence is this. Remember with every prayer that through our faith in Jesus Christ, We are drawing near to our Father who has adopted us as His beloved child. Now see that word that's underlined is adoption. It's adopted. As I close, here's what I want to say. This is the way in which I believe we can accurately worship God and not get too far on the side of holiness or too far on the side of love. Is to think about the word adoption. All right? There are are some of us who think about the love of God and we think that we are lovable that we are entitled to God's love. And we're we're not. God loves us simply because He's loving. He saved us simply because He's amazing, not because we are worthy of being saved. All right? And then on the holiness side of things, if we get too far over here, we can forget the fact that we're actually considered His child. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, God looks at you as He looks at His Son. He loves you that much. So how do, we, how do we stay balanced where we don't think of God as too loving or too holy, but we're right smack in the middle? I think we think of the word adoption. Because when an orphan is adopted, they know they're not entitled to anything. Whatever benefits they had from their earthly parents, they no longer have. Because for whatever reason, their earthly parents are not in the picture. So they're not, they don't feel this sense of entitlement. They're grateful when they're adopted. But if their adopted parents are good parents... 
their adoptive parents would also tell them, you are loved as if you were my very own, because now you are. All right? That's how God sees us. He's adopted us into His family, not because we're worthy, but because He's good. But since He has adopted us, anytime and every time you pray, know that you are praying to your Father who loves you more than I could possibly put into words. Now, as we enter into invitation, if you're in this room and you have never given your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, God cares for you as His creation, but He does not yet love you as His child. There's a difference when you're adopted by the blood of Jesus. He's, he's, offered, he's offered it to everyone through the sacrifice on the cross. But he's saying, I cannot know you as my child. I can only know you as my creation if you will not repent and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he desires for you to come. If you are a Christian, my prayer for you as we enter into this invitation is this. If you have forgotten that you pray to your Father, go to your Father today. Take what's wrong and make it right. Give Him the praise and honor due His name, but also cling to Him in intimacy because He loves you and knows every hair on your head. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, we love You. And Father, I confess before this entire congregation that I, there's so much mystery to You, Father. There is. There's just mystery that You enter into our lives, yet you stand above us at the same time. You're the God of heaven, yet you're here on earth, and there's so much to learn, Father. Please teach us. Teach me. Help us to pray. Help us to listen to these words of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the next few weeks, consider every single word that we would pray in a way that changes our hearts and changes your kingdom forever. Father, everyone in this room, I just pray for them to know you as Father. And if they don't, if there's anyone that does not know you as Father because they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Father, remove the heart of stone, replace it with the heart of flesh, I beg you. In Jesus' name, amen.